0: Okay, so as of this recording, I, I may or may not have pre-ordered a, a Fuji X100F. Did you really? I'm just dropping it, this out there. Nice. You know, I'm just, <laughs> ah. No, no, I, I haven't. Officially, I haven't yet, but by the time the episode airs, who knows?
1: Yeah, it's it's mighty tempting. I think I'm 100% in. <laughs> I think I'm going to buy it. Yes! Team Fuji gets a new member.
0: You know, because I, I was thinking about it the other day um, when I was reading the specs and everything, the release notes from Fuji's website. Yeah. Um, I, I started thinking, what do I need in a backup camera for my for my personal shooting? Uh, basically, I need very few things. I need a camera that I can take with me every single day when I when I'm on the street. Yep. I, I loved having my camera on me all the time. And since I've owned the the Sony A7 II, I just don't do it anymore. Right, and I miss it. Uh, and then. I need a camera with a moderate uh, focal length that allows me to take pictures of my a7 II when I'm doing lens reviews or other photography related reviews. And that's why the 35 millimeter focal length didn't seem too appealing to me at first, because it's slightly wider than I like to use for product shots. Yeah. But then I thought about the teleconverter, which takes you to 50 mil, mm-hmm. and that would be perfect for me. Yeah. So basically that's it. I don't need anything else for, uh, in a backup camera. So the, the X100F or any of the X100 series cameras for that matter would be awesome. And, and this last one looks very, very good. So I think I'm going to do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a good move, especially because like you said, the, uh, the the teleconverters make it almost its own self-contained little system. So it's it's more versatile than it appears to be at first. Um, but I would, you know, if you're deciding between the generations, I would go um, for the new one, if only to get access to the XTrans3 sensor, which, uh, which is worth it, in my estimation. I mean, it's it really is a meaningful step forward, um, not just because of the resolution bump, but just the uh, the, the way that they've, um, made that happen. And of course, Acros, I think you're going to get a kick out of it because you, you did get oh, a chance yeah. to try it in, uh, at Photokina, but, uh, just, just having that, uh, with you all the time is, uh, is quite a treat. So, uh, yeah, no, that would be, that would be great.
0: I might even have to update my walk- my walk around camera recommendation <laughs> in the guide, you know, yeah, cause I really think this deserves a spot there. Yeah.
2: Especially because it's uh, cheaper you guys are hilarious oh we are hilarious oh look Josh you're gonna, you're gonna buy a camera you're gonna buy a camera like super quick oh guys' you know, josh is gonna lose this and here you guys are like I I win I win on both sides I did I mean I don't win i I mean I win because I didn't buy a camera but then here here we are both you guys beat me to the punch but you know it's 2017 already it's a whole new year different yep. story yep. rules don't apply you guys can't admit defeat hey just cannot admit when you're wrong
1: disappointed in you well, we could if you had bet against us, but you didn't. We bet against you, and then we won.
2: So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm thinking there's like a better chance of me not buying a camera again this year than there is a, a chance of me buying a camera again this year.
1: Yeah, it all depends on that a7 III. Yeah, well, enjoy your glory,
2: guys. I'll just sit here in the back corner laughing at the fact that you don't shoot full frame. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough.
2: <laughs> I still shoot full frame, by the way, so... You're not allowed to laugh at me. You can smirk, but not not flat out laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, I thought yeah,
1: true. Good point. Yeah, no, I'm I'm the one who doesn't.
2: At the end of the day, overall, you're gonna end up being like, nope, I don't need the A seven too. This this camera covers everything I need. Guarantee, I, it'll be like your most used camera. Ninety nine percent sure.
1: Well, I mean, it will be his most used camera, but that's not. I don't think it's gonna replace his A seven. I think if he falls that deeply in love with Fuji, it'll just mean that he's gonna have to replace the A seven with an X T two. Like that's that's the the end of that slippery slope
0: and honestly i'm fully prepared to admit that if it happens like i have absolutely no problem switching systems if it means i'm going to be happier and i'm going to shoot more i'm 100 on board
1: yeah i think that's what it ultimately comes down to pathetic
2: trader. yeah trader.
0: My, my fellow trader team sony shooters are gonna label me a trader. i know I, i'll have to live with it
2: there's only like two of us on that slack channel
0: one thing at one thing at a time though i mean I still haven't bought anything. So
1: yeah. And realistically, the only loyalty that matters is to your own photographic intentions. And again, if the camera makes you shoot more, it really doesn't matter whether it's full frame or micro four thirds or your iPhone like that's it's really not relevant if you're getting more images, uh, you know, uh, an image that exists at micro four thirds is better than one that doesn't at full frame. So that's what it comes down to from my point of view. Correct. Correct.
2: Okay, well, give me the perfect answer. I I get it. I get it. But you're still a traitor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I I can't speak to that. I I didn't. I, I'm not a traitor. Um. But anyway, the X100F is one of like a whole ton of Fuji announcements. They had a crazy day this this past week as we're recording. Um. But another camera system that I think we just need to get out of the way because we love them so much that we we just uh, it, it's the elephant in the room. We have to talk about them. Um. Our beloved Leica, who uh, manufactures our many, many like a cues that we are now accumulating and using as toilet paper and building materials around the house. I used them to level my desk. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good one. Yeah. That's yeah, a yeah. good one. <laughs> um, they've released their new generation of M camera. The M cameras are, of course, the the sort of core family, the, the ones that they're most known for. And now there's an M10, which uh, comes, I don't remember how many years after the M9, um, but it's it's basically um, I guess a more direct replacement to the M240, which was more technologically advanced, but the M10 is like the official next step in that family line.
0: Yeah, but I'm not sure it's intended as a flagship of the M system. Like this seems to be a lower end model than the than the M240 because it doesn't shoot video, for example. It has some limitations that like I decided to put
1: in there. Alvaro. Uh, you're you're forgetting. You're forgetting the way Leica operates. The higher end you go, the less things it does. That's the oh, way that course, they operate. of course,
0: of course. No, I whole. get it, but I still, <laughs> I still think we're going to get uh, another M uh, camera soon from Leica, yeah. which is going to be a more uh,
1: feature complete.
0: A more, yeah, a more, of, uh, more of an evolution of the M240.
1: Yeah, it's almost like those two are now parallel lines, right? The the classic M's are just 100% photo focused, and that's all they're going to be. And then the M240 line is going to splinter off into its own thing that um, includes more, uh, you know, quote unquote features like video recording and whatever else they'll choose to add. So that's that's not a bad way to yeah. go. I think that uh, you know, as far as they're concerned. Um, the price points are, are high anyway, so if you're buying a Leica, then you basically decide if you are, are buying it for that whole photographic purity thing, in which case the M10 will be your camera, or if you're after, you know, just like the very, very best rangefinder style digital camera that money can buy, in which case... You'll go for whatever the next two forty is, but get the X Pro yeah. two instead. Yeah, <laughs> I mean I would, but you know what I mean. It's anyway. That's um. It's gonna go on sale relatively soon, I think, and it's uh, sixty five ninety five body only, so which is cheaper than a
0: typical M two forty body used to be when it when it was released. What was the launch price for that? I think it was about eight eight thousand or something really? like that. Okay,
1: yeah. So then the, you know they're they're lowering prices.
0: I, I seem I seem to remember. I mean i I might be wrong. I'm going. Just off of memory here, so maybe maybe it's not quite right, but yeah. I seem to remember they were hovering around the eight K mark.
1: One of the interesting things to me about the M10 is that in a break from tradition, you know, Leica typically removes things, um, but they added something to this camera, which is a physical ISO dial. Uh, so that was an interesting move. I think it's a good one. Oh the horror! Oh the horror! But to balance it out, to balance it out, they did remove buttons, so that's you know, evens things out.
0: Okay, right. You guys remember when they released this uh, like a couple years back, or maybe it was last year, uh, and they, it didn't have a back LCD, and they put an ISO dial instead of the back LCD because that's the place where the old M3 used to have the ISO dial?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I get that this time they couldn't do that because the LCD is there in, in the M10, uh, but the fact that they chose to put the ISO dial uh, on the top left part of the, of the camera makes me think that maybe they were not so sure that the, the their previous attempt at making an, an isodial was right
2: yeah, The the five people who bought one <laughs> they complained enough
0: yeah and this is placed in the exact <laughs> in the exact position uh, on the M3 there's a lever there uh, where, where you can I think it's to uh like unwind the film or something like that yeah yeah so the, the position of the of the ISO dial is sort of mimicking <clears throat> one of the dials of the old m3 that's what I'm getting at, basically.
1: Yeah. So they're still going after that that retro revival thing, but I do think that this is a much more logical placement for an ISO dial and the fact that the digital camera has a screen is probably a, you know, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I wish them luck with it. It's it's definitely not the kind of camera that is in our uh price range or anything like that. But it is uh, you know, it's going to be up to their standards of of physical build quality. And um, I believe they've put the new generation of the Maestro image processing engine in there. So, you know, you can expect very, very nice images to come out of it. Um, it's still at 24 megapixels as far as resolution goes, which uh, I think we've mentioned before seems to be the the sweet spot that all manufacturers are kind of gravitating towards these days, um, you know, outside right. of special cases. And frankly, for me, that's, that is a sweet spot. I mean, I think that, um, any, any print that I'm likely to, to make is going to look just fine with 24 megapixels. Um, and once you're going beyond that realm, uh, you you're, you're- definitely into specialty territory and you should be buying tools accordingly right so um yeah i I would be happy because honestly if you if you sort of keep things at 24 megapixels and we all just agree that that's enough for most people's use cases then you can work on optimizing things like dynamic range and um high iso performance at that resolution because otherwise if you're always ramping up resolution you're it's like a, a battle to keep things as they were in terms of those things let alone to make them better so this just uh you know, it gives us a, a plateau where we can focus on developing uh, camera technology and sensor technology in in other directions, and arguably in more important directions. Because as we've discussed before, resolution is is really one of the the less important aspects of sensor performance um, in terms of getting the image quality that you're after, unless you're after giant prints. So anyway, that's the M10,
0: right? But even if you are, there are ways to deal with the uh, resolution limitation. For example, things that people tend to print large are usually landscape shots or or you know building shots or there, there's not usually you, you don't typically see a lot of portraits printed very large right yeah so for for those types of shots you can always stitch several images together and do a panoramic shot and that way you you can get at an 80 megapixel image out of several 24 megapixel individual shots right so you can deal with the with the lack of raw resolution from your sensor in other, perhaps it'll take a, a bit more work in post-production, but it can be done. So uh, I don't think that's a, that's a problem.
1: Or in camera, you can take the, uh, you can take the approach that, that Olympus is taking with the sensor shifting technology that they can uh, use because they've got the in-body image stabilization. And, you know, I expect that that right. Sony cameras will, um, well, I mean, theoretically they'd be able to do a similar thing if they wanted to, but um, in any event, that's another way of getting around this problem. So it's, um, yeah, I I definitely am happy with twenty four megapixels as a as a cap at least for now. Right. So am I.
2: The the M ten is a sexy looking camera though. I'll just put that out
1: there. Oh yeah. I, okay. Like at the end of the day, yes. it's exactly
2: the, it looks more or less the same as the other ones. But but they it's haven't slimmer like, though. Right. And they haven't like you know fooled around with that with that aesthetic. So from a style standpoint, I'm sure we're all just jumping for joy. It is like the prettiest camera on the market. I don't know, you guys. Is there another one that's nicer? That like looks better? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. I think they all look awesome. And by the way, they are incredibly well-made. Like
0: I, I I used to think this was sort of a, an exaggeration that people said, you all like SR built like tanks until I held one in my hands for the first time. It is impressive. I mean, I'm used to handling many different cameras. There's nothing else out there that compares to this.
2: Yeah! Wow, it bra- brass, right? Right. It's
0: just dense, dense, solid. It's 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 amazing. It feels great in the hand. It's heavy though,
1: but but it's great. Yeah, I had the same experience when I first picked up a Leica Q, uh, and not not as a joke now, but for real. That that camera was uh, <laughs> was one that that really it impressed me with the the material density of it, and because it is. Like it is a heavy camera, and I think that that's uh they're heavier than you expect when you first pick it up. But it's also in a like a reassuring way because the the camera's not bulky, like it's not a large and heavy right. camera. It's just a it's a very compact camera. It's it's like a brick, but in a good way, um, if that makes any sense.
0: And the Q is nowhere near as nicely built as the M's. Like there's I, I I'd argue there's roughly the same difference between a Sony a7II and the Leica Q in terms of build quality as there is between the Leica Q and the Leica
1: M. Like it's incredible. Wow. So that's quite a gap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if you've got the money, then obviously it is, there's a reason that they, uh, that they cost so much there's a lot of attention paid to that kind of material quality and while it is arguably irrelevant for the actual image output um, if it changes the way that you interact with the camera as a photographer then it will affect your output not directly but you know that it is a factor um that the question is really just whether you're able to and willing to um, shell out the money to to buy that so right. Um, for the people who are the M10 is a new is a new option on the block. I think it's going to be. I think it's a very stable, sensible, predictable upgrade over the M9. There's nothing in the spec sheet um, either there or absent that really surprised me. Uh, you know, it feels like a a very Leica, very uh, normal update. So that's that's good. Um, I, I think that alongside things like the the T series um, and the Q, which were maybe a little more surprising, this is more uh, of an expected bit of progress but it's uh it's a good one it's like a tl now right the t the tl yeah the tl was the the update <laughs> that's kind of the same camera but kind of not we gave it a new color and we called it a brand new system <laughs> it's yeah yeah they they did update the internal storage that was one thing that i appreciate and honestly oh, i cannot wait okay. for more cameras to do that that is one thing that you know even just having i think it's 32 gigs of storage now that they have on board Even that, that is good. Why don't more people do that? I you know, I understand having cards and swapping them out, but it's really neat to have this totally self contained camera where you don't have to worry about um having separate cards and and stuff like that.
2: I cannot tell you how many times I've forgot an SD card and and I can't shoot. Like literally just yeah, walked out the door without one. It was stuck in the computer, forgot it. To have an onboard thing would be sweet. I agree. Yeah. It's just that like Like, I mean, plugging the camera directly into the computer kind of sucks, but but it's a good fail safe. You can put an SD card into the T or the TL, right? Yeah, yeah, of course.
1: It's okay. it's it's almost like a, a an alternative or a fail safe or what you know, however you want right. to look okay. at it. Um, and I think that given the the price of of solid state storage these days uh, on camera bodies that are you know climbing upwards of two, three thousand dollars, it's not the end of the world from a design perspective to find room for a little tiny SSD that can hold, again, it doesn't have to be more than 32 gigs. It's just a, a an alternative, a backup, something that that you can fall back on in case, uh, like you, Josh, or like all of us, I think, do this. You know, you occasionally walk out and it's like, yep, I don't have any cards with me. That's That sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, be- before that, I mean, before I get uh, an internal SSD in, in my camera, I would rather have that same... Or, or maybe not as much, but a similar amount of memory for the buffer. Like that's the, the one feature I want them to make significantly deeper. Like the, the possibility to just keep shooting bursts and not having to wait until they are written to the card. And I mean, every time the camera freezes on me, I get mad. Yeah. That's that's my main <laughs> gripe with the a 7 basically. Yeah. It's a slow camera. And, and uh, I just... Can't wait for the day when all cameras are much faster and the buffers are all super deep and this is a problem uh, that we can forget about.
1: Yeah, that'd be nice.
2: Well, there was another company that offered a whole pile of new products. We've already touched on one of them, but there's one that like, we all kind of... Well, I guess for a guy like Marius, he probably knew it was
1: coming, right? Yes. I, I mean, about I knew <laughs> all of the things that were coming, but yeah.
2: <laughs> right. So like this GFX thing, all these videos that they've been putting out, Fuji's been putting these these YouTube videos or teaser videos, right? How many are there? There's probably like 50 of them already.
1: Yeah, there's quite a bunch. Right. Yeah, there's quite a number it, of
2: them. Uh, I've watched a bunch of them and and um, I don't know, there are, this GFX thing, it's uh, it's coming out of left field, at least in my little world, and it seems pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, it is pretty impressive. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a bit of a marvel what they've managed to pack into this thing. And um, the, the comparison that always strikes me as most impressive is the fact that you're getting... Um, a medium format sensor and the, uh, the the quality that that comes along with that, but you're doing it in a body that's smaller than most flagship DSLRs from Canon and Nikon. So it's like it's like they've leapfrogged the IQ, but managed to keep the size advantage, and that's a right. huge win on their part. And it's not exclusive to them because I believe the X One D um, is even a little bit smaller if not you know more or less equivalent in size it's a very different kind of design it's it's quite smaller than the gfx yeah yeah that's i i thought it was because it It looks slimmer um but yes but in any case it's got it's the same kind of thing where they've uh they've found ways to and this is Hasselblad by the way that makes the x1d they've both found ways to make to take this this formerly um out-of-reach medium format and bring it down, first of all, bring it into the digital realm and bring it into the digital realm in a way that is more accessible, uh, both in terms of price and also in terms of just workflow. Uh, you know, like this is a camera you can hold, you can take it places with you. It's not something that you need to have locked on sticks in a studio setting or something like that. It's it's a more versatile incarnation of the medium format. And we're going to dig into medium format a bit in this episode. That's, that's sort of our main... Um, topic. But I also wanted to take a few minutes because we're talking about the Fuji announcements to just celebrate the the APS-C releases that they have because I think that the X-T20 is a really compelling camera. Um, uh, Personally, I have no interest in it because I never, for for whatever reason, I didn't get along with the X-T10 in terms of ergonomics. But as far as getting a lot of bang for your buck buying a camera these days, the X-T20 is ridiculous. It is... Essentially, the same brains as an XT two, but you get a touch screen instead of the uh, focus joystick, which some people prefer, and and you know they'll be much happier with that. Um, you don't get four K at the same um, like there's there's differences in the in the video recording capabilities, but by and large, you're looking at basically the same caliber of camera. You know, you give up weather sealing, you give up some of the um, physical nicety of the thing. But man, oh man, is that ever a lot of camera for I believe eight hundred dollars US? Is that what is? I think it's nine hundred. Nine hundred, yeah. yeah, something like that. Basically, it's priced to be to be a
0: competitor to the Sony A six thousand three hundred. Yeah, I would say, and the features are very very similar. It used yeah. to be that Sony packed more performance, more tech for your buck, uh, but this is really no longer the case anymore. I would say.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really quite impressive. And I think that it's going to be very successful for them because there are a lot of people I think who want to um, explore the Fuji ecosystem, but they, they didn't really have um, up to this point, they didn't really have a camera that uh, embodied the best of it, but didn't necessarily have all the bells and whistles that, um, you know, cause the price to go into a range where it's not really something you can do as an experiment. Uh, You know, as, as a professional, $900 is still within the realm of like, okay, I can try this. You know, worst case scenario, you resell it and make back most of your money. It's not—it's not the end of the world. Um, doing the same thing with an XT2 or an X Pro2—that's uh, not really feasible because those are really expensive cameras. Yeah. So this is this is like a perfect on-ramp, and it's the kind of body that can remain as your B cam very easily if you decide that okay, yeah, I'm I'm going to adopt Fuji. That's going to be my system, and then you get the XT2 or the X Pro2 as your as your main camera. You can very well keep the XT20 because. It's a great B cam. It does most of what your A cam will do. It'll give you identical files. So it's it's perfect. It's a really really well thought out camera. I think they they did a good job of balancing compromises in it. Um right. And I suspect that it's going to be their best seller this year. That's that seems to be the uh you know, because th- there are a lot of people, like I said, the professionals are going to be buying the, the XTs and the X-Pros, but this is, this is the camera that I think most people are going to be aiming for within Fuji's ecosystem.
0: I think it's going to be between the X100F and the X-T20. Yeah, absolutely. One of those two is going to take the best-selling title this year.
1: I never I never bet on the X100F being that one because it's too much of a niche camera. Like the simple fact that it is, doesn't have interchangeable lenses throws a lot of people off, like a lot of people.
0: Yeah, but a lot of people are also drawn to that.
1: Yeah, I just, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my impression and I'm, I'm totally wrong, but I, I get the sense that there are fewer people who prefer that. Versus the number of people who hate not being able to switch lenses. Even if they don't actually switch lenses, you know, it's like that idea of wanting to be able to. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Just knowing you can. Yeah,
0: of course. Yeah. By the way, my inner conspiracy theorist is convinced that Fuji announced the xt 20 alongside the X-100F just to mess with my head and lure me into their grasp.
1: Yeah, I suggested it <laughs> to them. I said, you know, guys, we need to get Alvaro in. This is the only way. This is this is what's going to work. And they were like, all right, we'll change our plans. That explains everything.
2: So when I look at this I- When I look at this X-T20, I'm going to bring up the whole like aesthetic and design approach again. Like I cannot get past the whole like shoulder, you know, so like there's like the faux plastic leather black part on the bottom, right? And then they've got like this graphite color on the top, but like it's so large and it looks like the shoulders are, I don't know. The Fuji X-T20 has to be, in my humble opinion, like the ugliest camera that has been released in the last like year and a half.
1: I think it looks, it looks terrible. Terrible is the wrong word. I'm not really going to argue with you on that. It looks weird. And I think that the black one is better looking. It looks weird. Weird is the right word. I think it looks like just odd. Yeah, it does look odd. It's not. It's the uglier little cousin of the XT too. And and that's, uh, you know, it's part it's one of the compromises that was made. If you if you want the attractive version, then you, you know, you get a pony up.
2: Why is it a compromise? Like what all they have to do is just slightly there's no way that if they had just changed a slightly light slight design thing here, like it would look better and people would. I don't know. I bet you money when you walk down into the store and you see these cameras up on the shelf and you look at this one, you're like, eh and then you look at the XT two, and you're like, oh, hmm. maybe that's the point. But at the end of the day, if they just made a small little change and made it just about the features, the differentiating factor would be the features inside the camera. Like,
1: I don't know. No, they, see, the problem with that thinking is assuming that the manufacturing cost for getting the XT two to look the way that it looks is equivalent. And I, I think that that's the not the case. I well, mean, I, but I think there's that, no
2: way that it's like it's that that it would be a uh, groundbreaking decision to make the XT twenty look a little bit more like the xt2 there's no way that
1: that they're they're making a a decision here like for some reason that's not my point it's they've already got the the pipelines in place to make the body that looks like that because they had it from the xt10
2: oh no that part i i understand that i i'm saying like why did the xt10 have to look so stupid to begin with
1: well it's again it was a matter of compromises (laughs) tell us what you really feel john
2: (laughs) (laughs) I, i will not buy this camera solely because it looks dumb
1: yeah, the the other thing to keep in mind is that it is it, it is noticeably smaller. So it you, it's not like they could have just taken the chassis from the XT um, one or XT two and just changed the guts out because it is a it's a different like the the size of the thing is different too. Fair enough. Um, but I agree with you. Like it is not it's not an attractive camera. They could have found a nicer look for this particular set of guts. But I think again because they were trans they they tried to pack as much of the Technology and as possible, it's got you know the same sensor, the same processor, and that probably was them going okay. Well, if we want to hit this price point, then something's got to give, and it's going to be it's going to be looks like we we can't afford to redesign it and get a new build out because it's just not. It's going to push it closer to the XT2, in which case there's not enough of a gap and blah blah blah. So I, I think that it's uh, partly measured and partly just a consequence of them trying to hit a price point.
2: Right. For what it's worth, the X100F, uh, not really like major design changes, but I love the look of those X100 cameras. They look sweet. Like very Leica-esque. Yes. What yeah. color do you prefer for the X100F? f Um, I think that if you were to go, like there's like the graphite, silver, and then black, right? I think it's just silver and
1: black for the F. Yeah, the F is just silver. It's not graphite.
2: Oh, then I would go all black, personally. I think I like the all black. A little more, Um, like, so Interesting. the silver, the silver is like, it's, it's like in your face, like pretty, I, I really like that. But I, I, this camera is the kind of thing that I would throw over my neck walking down the street on a random or just a normal casual day. And I, the last thing you need to, to do there is, I don't know, you just kind of want to have like, it's a street photography camera, right? So I think being a little more inconspicuous is probably a positive thing.
0: Yeah. I don't think it's very shiny or anything. I don't think it calls too much attention upon itself. The the silver one, I mean, so I don't, I don't have that problem personally. What What are you leaning towards? I think I prefer the look of the silver one. Oh, okay. Yeah, the black just feels, I'm not sure why, but I don't, I feel like something's missing in the black one.
2: I I can see that, I can see that. Clearly guys, I'm like the most vain photographer ever. I buy my cameras based on what they look like. No, that's important. And then here I am
1: with an A7 (laughs) II. (laughs) The ugliest camera ever. (laughs) For what it's worth, I've owned both um, a silver and a black X100 series camera. My my X100S was silver and then the X100T was black. And while you may not think that it would make a huge difference, the S got a lot more attention. It is very noticeable. Um, I don't know exactly why, but that started a lot of conversations. A lot of people will, you know, you'll get the, oh, is that a film camera question like four million times every day when you're walking in a populated place. It doesn't bother me. I'm just saying it's as far as being inconspicuous, the silver is not it.
0: I think that's just because you're a nice guy. Well... Because y- you, you used to get compliments on your Wardencraft bag too, right? I suppose that was the first time that's ever happened. And it hasn't happened since. And I never got one with my own bag. So I think it's you,
1: not the yeah. camera or the bag. Well, that's nice, I guess. <laughs> uh, but with the, with the Black X100T, um, it did not happen in the same way. So that was, that was something that... Uh, it may have been because that look was more normalized by the time that the X100T came out. I'm not sure if that's also a factor because people are more used to seeing that kind of camera. But it might be. for whatever reason, um, it was much less conspicuous in public places. So, my, it, you know, for, for my own choice, I would be torn because I do think that the silver looks better if just from a purely aesthetic perspective. But I think that the black one does have some stealthiness to it that might be better depending on what you're... Um, depending on what your use case is, I
0: guess what what I like about the silver version is that it looks more like a film camera, and that's the aesthetic that they're going for.
1: It does, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what I like about it personally. I think. Yeah. So that's the uh, that was the lineup of of cameras, but you know, as if it weren't enough, uh, Fuji also unveiled the next lens in their um, in their kind of f two weather sealed small form factor sub range. So we, you know, the thirty five was the first one. And that one is kind of the the ideal pair for the X-Pro2, and it was launched at the same time. Then earlier in 2016, we had the 23mm F2, uh, still waiting on my review unit, by the way. That's, you know, Fuji, if you're listening, please. Um, <laughs> but um, now there's the 50mm, and the 50mm is, is again, you know, another one in that family. It is, obviously, it's going to be the largest of those three, um, but it's still significantly more compact than the 56 and it is weather-sealed. So that makes it, um, you know, p- potentially a more versatile trio of lenses. If you've got all three of those and an X-Pro or an X-T camera that's um, that's weather-sealed, you've got really quite a versatile little kit. Uh, you know, same max aperture across the range. Everything's weather-sealed, and it'll fit in quite a small bag because they're all compact. So uh, it'll be interesting. I-, I doubt that it's going to reach the level of... Um, character that the 56 is famous for it'll obviously be significantly faster to focus and it will have uh you know it won't be able to match that that really nice shallow depth of field that you get from an f1.2 lens right um but i think it's going to be a more um more versatile lens in terms of how you can use it Uh, because the 56 does take some some getting used to uh you know it's i love that lens it's the first one i bought (laughs) um but it's it's it takes some some Work to get the best um, results from it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely lens, though, and it's not that big considering that you're getting a portrait prime, a very fast portrait prime. It's, it's. I was surprised. It's, it, it's, it was smaller than I thought it would be when I, when I tried it. Yeah, this new 50mm looks amazing too. Definitely. Yeah,
1: I mean, you have to compare the 56 to the 85 primes from other systems, basically.
0: Yeah, of course. And then the thing that I was surprised the most about this lens is the the price because this sort of breaks the trend that the F2 primes the first two F2 primes started which is that they were also affordable on top of small and fast and and yeah so yeah it's surprising to see that it's priced at almost a $1000 i think
1: no it's it's not it's 650 oh 650 yeah. well, then it's
0: then it's okay
2: they 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 were reporting this wrong though right like there was a couple of sites that were reporting a higher yeah, price yeah yeah
0: either. i seem to remember right. reading a higher price yeah but 650
1: is reasonable i think thomas wong had linked a similar um article in our slack um earlier this week but uh, uh, my best sources are saying that it's 650 retail which seems more in line with the rest of the family like it's obvious that it's going to be more expensive than the 35 and and 23 because it's a bigger more complicated lens but right. uh yeah 1000 would have put it into a very different range and i, I Doubt that that's where they're at. I'm, I'm pretty sure 650 is the MSRP in US dollars. Um, if I'm wrong, then forgive me, but I, I'm pretty sure it's it's that. So um, nice. Yeah. Either way, it's it's good. And I I think that as a, again, as a as a little compact kit, those three lenses and one of the weather sealed bodies goes a long way. Oh, yeah. So let's talk medium format.
2: OK, yeah, because I'm just like jumping off my chair. Here. Josh is
1: salivating. By the way, guys, I
2: got my I got my Herman Miller Aeron chair. Oh, nice. Oh, how is it? Uh, well, my back is, you know, it's amazing how much cooler it is. It's weird, but like, cause it's, it's, it's a breathable chair yeah. versus like a leather, like, you know, a Staples chair or whatever they don't.
0: Oh, so you mean cooler in the literal sense,
2: right? Yeah. Cooler, like cooler, like not, not hot.
0: Like temperature. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So,
2: um, which is good, you know, bad right now in the, in the cold basement, but come, you know, summertime, then it'll be great. Nice. But anyway, we, we we're talking medium format. Okay. We were talking about that GFX before, and then we... Marius was talking about and then we switched topics, but he touched on price because they announced like the GFX has been announced. It was announced like late 2016. Right. But the pricing wasn't known until recently.
1: Yeah. We basically only knew that they wanted to keep it under 10,000. That was the right. That's what they stated. And and
2: it's like way under 10,000 US dollars. Oh, yeah. Listen, so what is it? Oh, yeah. It comes in at 6,500 US dollars, right? For, for the, the body, body only. And then, and then a 63 millimeter lens, which Alvaro, you had done the math, but it's close to like a 50 millimeter lens, right? Somewhere in there. Uh, yeah. Something like that. It's a 0.79 crop
0: factor. So it should be, yeah, about 50 mil. Yeah, it's, it's roughly equivalent to 50. Yeah.
2: Right. Okay. And that comes in at 1500 US dollars. So you're looking at like out of the box to shoot with this camera, you're looking at 8,000 US dollars. And for a medium format camera, like that is a sweet deal. Yes.
0: And this must have been surprising even for most Fuji employees, because I remember when we were talking to Peter at Photokina, uh, he said that he wasn't expecting the camera to be under nine thousand for the camera and the lens. Like significantly lower than ten thousand for him was over nine thousand. So this is a pleasant surprise, I'm
2: sure. Yeah. So so when it comes to price, like my here's what I was trying to get at or I want to get at is essentially if we look at when did the five D mark II come out? Was that like Two thousand ten or something like that. Mm, the Canon Five D Mark II? i uh, I'm not
0: sure. I'm going okay. look it up.
2: Either way, like it, you know, it's it's probably close to like a almost a ten year old camera already. And that thing came out, and the, I don't know again what the price would have been. But let's let's put things into perspective. Like a two thousand and nine dollar. If let's say the camera was twenty five hundred US dollars, or even three thousand dollars, and you throw on like a a high end prime lens, you're looking at like probably. I don't know, maybe, maybe 3,500 to 4,000 U.S. dollars, even maybe a bit more at that time for a full frame camera with a 50 millimeter, the best prime lens you can buy. And like in today's dollars, like that, you're borderline, you know, like probably $6,000, 6,500 U.S. dollars. And we're like, now we get for the same price, more or less, not the same price, but maybe a little bit more, but you get a medium format camera instead of a, of a full frame camera. Like that's, Right. I think the price here, like we're not that far off if we convert the dollars and all the inflation and all that stuff for professionals, like for a professional to jump into medium format with the Fuji GFX is not that much different than a photographer 10 years ago and buying a 5D Mark II and a full frame lens. That That's what I'm trying to get at here. I like, or whatever lens or a photographer today buying a 5D Mark IV, by the way. Right. Yeah. Like, like I, I feel like if you're gonna jump into professional level photography and 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 if medium format actually like fits what you do, you know, portraiture or or we'll get more into this later. But it seems to me that if you're a pro, this GFX isn't isn't just like it's not, you know. Uh, it, Tempting, it's like literally tempting. Like it, it's like salivating. Tempting because it's <laughs> you get a lot better performance, you get a lot more resolution, you get a lot more everything, and it's really not that much more money than the highest end full frame cameras. But do you though? I mean, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves here. It
0: remains to be seen just how significant the improvement is. You know what I'm talking about because the sensor is
2: really not that bigger. Right. What I'm trying to say is like if you need if you need it, like it is incredibly more accessible to the point that it's almost as accessible as full frame was a few years back. I guess that's all I'm really trying to say. Don't don't read into it any more than that.
1: Okay, no, that's fair. Yeah. No, but you're right. I mean, that's the march of technology for you. You know, we're we're able to get cooler tech at lower prices. Despite, you know, I mean it's it's funny we've been making fun of camera companies for raising their prices in general on new cameras, but um, comparatively speaking, we are getting a lot more performance for that money. So it, it does even out in that sense.
2: I love it from a Sony shooter, by the way, like I, I, Sony cannot come along now and like announce a um, a nine full frame camera. That's 6,000 us dollars. Like, I don't think that, that that would make a whole lot of sense now, considering the fact that you can get probably, uh, m- probably more through the GFX for only a few hundred dollars more. So that yeah. part as a Sony shooter, uh, I'm pumped about. I'm not sure about that. I don't think Sony cares what other companies do price-wise. <laughs> but, well, uh, maybe at this point, but give it a year and and maybe the GFX sells and- Right, but if the A9 turns out to
0: be super rugged and ergonomically great and faster and dual SD cards and performance-wise, it's just miles ahead the GFX. I think they're gonna be fine with charging five, $6,000 for it and they're not they're not gonna care.
1: Yeah, Sony's not the kind to be shy about it.
0: Cuz it's not just about sensor size, right? The rest of the features also count. And for some people count more than the sensor size yeah. actually.
1: Yeah, and lens ecosystem is a big deal, right? I mean, this is a brand new system. So unlike um, you know, unlike buying into any full-frame system right now, uh the GFX has three lenses now. It will get, you know, more in this coming year and and Fuji's pace of development for those lenses is um is insane. Um, but nevertheless, you're, you're looking at a system that has certain limitations, and when you're dropping that amount of money, um, it's you've got to really be in the sweet spot in order for it to make perfect sense for you. Um, now, the, the, the price makes that um, a very different conversation, and I think that is the, you know, ultimately the most compelling part of this um, is the fact that they've managed to bring medium format into a realm where lots more professionals are suddenly able to consider it and... Um, Potentially set up their system around it, and again, we, it does right. remain to be seen what the performance is like. Um, the The sort the launch reviews are very um, glowing, as you would expect. Um, and so, even if you sort of set aside the text, you ignore that, and you look at the images. Um, even the JPEG images are telling me two things: one, that the dynamic range is superb, um, and two that the lenses are excellent because I'm seeing extremely nice optics there, very nice fall off of focus, um, the kind of sharpness that you tend to gravitate toward medium format for. I mean, it's just um, mad looking at those 100% crops on the portraits and things like that. It's, it's really crazy what this what this sensor is picking up. Um, and part of that is just the resolution, right? I mean, it's, it's a 50 megapixel sensor, um, which is more than we've ever seen on a Fuji camera. It's certainly not the highest resolution camera out there, even in full frame terms. Um, but the combination of Fuji's little sensor magic, that additional resolution, and their long history of making very good lenses, uh, it, it makes for a compelling system. Um, and the, the dynamic range in particular is, I think, the biggest selling point potentially um, in terms of sensor performance is not so much the resolution but the fact that you can theoretically pull out a lot more um, dynamic range than you could on an equivalent full-frame sensor yeah Um, that being said i i fully expect that sony's next generation of sensor will at least match if not exceed that level of dynamic range because you know, so that's Sony's expertise is making the best sensors, period, for everything. So that's not necessarily something I expect them to stay in the lead for. It's it's more a question of whether, um, whether the aggregate of their new GFX platform is going to make for a better system than the A7, for example, or the A9 or, you know, whatever comes next from Sony. And Sony, by the way, is like the only real competition there. I, I don't know. Well, and the X1D, I suppose we should also toss that in since it's in a similar price bracket.
0: Right. And just for reference, the A7II is still, I would say, uh, considered best in class in terms of dynamic range, but that's a sensor from 2013. So it's already getting to be four years old. Yeah. That's a long time in in the world of technology. So yeah, I I also expect the next generation to pack a significantly better sensor. I'm not quite sure it's going to match the medium format one though, because the, the physical size of the sensor uh, actually makes the dynamic range better, I think. So that's something that, that's an advantage that medium format is always going to have over full frame. And I'm not sure within the same generation, the leap is going to be that significant, but yeah, eventually it'll, it'll happen. You,
2: you touched on this already, Marius, you talked about the focus fall off. Uh, I, I linked last night on the newsprint to, uh, Jonas Rask. Is that how you say his name or is it Jonas? Jonas, right? I don't know that I've heard him pronounce it. Uh, I think, it, I think he says Jonas though. Okay. Well, so Mr. Rask, we'll call him just to, just to make sure. Um, he published a review of the GFX. He got his hands on it early on. And, um, you know, like you had said, put the text aside and just look at the images. I mean, look at his product shots first, like, wow. But you know, the sample images, what caught my attention was the focus fall off. Like, it's like, even if the background isn't completely like a big mush as long as it's smooth, but like the difference between sharp to smooth background, if it's sudden and you it know, doesn't look good, but this is just like, I don't know, like you said, the optics here, the focus fall off was what caught my eye. I thought it looked, looked fantastic.
0: Yeah. I'm very excited to see the, the upcoming lens, portrait lens for the system. Like Fuji has plans to release a 110 millimeter F2 lens. And that's going to be roughly like an 87 millimeter in full frame format. So it's a perfect portrait prime. And at f2, it's going to render a very similar depth of field as, for example, an 85mm uh, f1.4 lens would, like the G Master from Sony, for example. But this is going to have that gorgeous focus falloff. So I, I really want to see how images shot with that lens look
1: like beautiful yeah i'm realizing for myself at least that when it comes to bokeh um what i'm growing to appreciate more than just shallow depth of field is exactly that it's the transition um i would rather have a lens that doesn't go as shallow but renders that transition better um because ultimately ultimately i think that that's what imparts um the appeal, uh, I, I think that that's what it is really. For, for me, at least it's not when I look at images with shallow depth of field, I, I don't really care how mushy the background is. I, I care how the subject background separation is rendered. Um, not necessarily the degree, but just like we said, the, the, how smooth that transition is and how, um right. how, how well those different planes of focus are, are rendered on the, on the frame. So for, for me, that's, uh, you know, that looking at these images, that's really, uh, what's impressive. And that's why I'm not so bothered by the fact that the apertures are not like ridiculously fast on, on most of these lenses. Like there's some F fours in there and, and things like that. I don't really care. That's not uh that, that doesn't seem like a problem to me, given again, this, this optical excellence that, that renders things so nicely.
0: Oh, you say that now, but you're going to be talking about animal, animal
2: eyeballs, shapes in no time. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: I like to think I'm past that.
2: So who is this thing really for? like, well, you know this this GFX camera because of the size of it and and the ability to take it outside of the studio. Like I think it opens up medium format to a wider range of of types of photography, um, perhaps. But but who is it? Who is it for? I still think it's mostly for studio
0: shooters, though. Still? Uh, yeah, you can take it outside because it's it's slightly smaller than we're used to. Uh, well, not slightly. It's quite smaller than we're used to, but it's still big. I mean, the lenses especially are going to be big because. There's just no way around it. You have to cover the bigger sensor. And full frame lenses are already pretty big. So I expect these ones to be even bigger than that. And and that's going to be a problem if your intention is to take three or four lenses with you and just take a walk. That's going to be heavy. Uh, not, not much of a way around that. However, performance is also going to be limiting because just the raw file size, I don't think you're going to be seeing like eight frames per second bursts on these cameras in, in a good long while, I think it's going to be a few years until we start getting that kind of performance out of these. It'll eventually happen, of course, but we're not quite there yet. So that kind of limits the shooting envelope for these cameras, you're not going to be shooting sports with them, you're not going to be uh, taking them to places where speed matters. Uh, and, and that's, I don't know, I, I, I just think that's the way it is. Uh, so... Maybe people will find new things they can shoot with the GFX and the Hasselblad X1D that they couldn't shoot with their other medium format cameras because of the size. But I don't think it's going to change
1: significantly. I disagree on one front, and that's that I think that speed accounts for um, less shooting scenarios than than you think necessarily, because I'm I'm looking at this as, let's say, for example, a landscape photographer for whom speed is not a huge deal. Previously, they were getting the best quality by taking their DSLR kit with them. And they're already like, again, the the sorts of people who are buying a $10,000 camera system are not buying them to go out for a walk in the park, right? Like they are already professionals of a certain caliber. So let's say it's a landscape professional. If I can suddenly take a medium format system with me, even with all the lenses, um, and it'll be equivalent in weight and a little lower in, in body size, than my previous DSLR kit, um, why would I not do that, right? Like if, if the pricing works out, then I get a much better, um, I, I get more image potential without a huge trade-off in weight, and it's just probably a little more expensive. Right. But as a, as a working professional photographer, that would be a, a trade-up that, you know, I would be very tempted to make, you know, coming from a D810 or something on the Nikon side or uh, the 5DSR on the Canon side. that's That's something that would be very compelling to me. Um, the, the studio setting is, is obviously the, uh, the, the most obvious one. And that's, you know, they, they've also got pretty good tethering features and things like that with the GFX that's going to make that um, easier. But um, what's interesting about those videos that we were mentioning earlier, um, first of all, I like, um, I like how freeform they are and unrelated. Um, you know, some of them are bad, some <laughs> of them are good. But I think it's because what they've done um, is with their ex-photographers, they say, look, we're giving you this gear. You're going to give us, uh, you know, input and everything like that. But you also have to make a marketing video for us if, you know, if you're up to the task. And that's why I think all of them are so different, because it's basically the, the individual photographers' teams that are assembling them. Yeah. Um, and while it, it means that there's not much consistency, um, it's also, it also feels really genuine to me. Like, it's it's actually just these people's impressions and the way that they work with it. And of course, they're, they're flattering. Um, but it's also a very different approach from the very polished-feeling campaigns of other camera manufacturers. Um, and again, very hit and miss. Some of these videos are terrible. Some of them are good. Um, but in aggregate, it's a, it's an interesting way to market products, and they've done it for the GFX and for the X100F as well, and and all these cameras. And um, but anyway, what I was getting at is the the GFX videos. They're casting a very wide net. Like they are deliberately showcasing a lot of um, tasks in photography that fall outside of the studio setting. There's a lot of folks doing landscape stuff showcasing the weather resistance of the system right there's a lot of people doing um, interesting kinds of product and documentary style shooting with it Um, you know like this there's just they're trying to um, really push that angle of look don't don't think of this as a limited medium format thing think of it as a capable more versatile system that happens to have a medium format sized sensor. So you're getting that, that quality. Um, in terms of speed, I think the, the most um, perhaps encouraging was the, um, the gentleman who was shooting dancers. Right. Um, you know, he had his flash system set up and he was, he was capturing them in motion and didn't seem to be having much trouble as far as autofocus performance. I don't know if he was manually focusing or, or what, but um, it certainly seems to be capable of handling those certs, sorts of situations in the hands of a, of a talented photographer right so again i do think that they've broadened the shooting envelope and it would be unfair to characterize it as falling within the same limitations as as we typically think of medium format for
0: yeah when i when i said speed i wasn't referring to autofocus speed i was more referring to the burst Burst, speed of the camera yeah right because if you're capturing motion especially dancers just to capture the precise moment where both dancers are looking best you need to basically have a very high burst rate speed. so that's, that's just,
1: yeah. And you won't be shooting wildlife or sports or cars or anything like that. That's yeah, you're, you're right. So, so we've talked about a little bit about landscape, Uh, not that uh, my, here's
2: my leading question essentially is, is this camera, if it's only about the size of a DSLR, even just slightly bigger or whatever, whatever DSLR you have in your hand, like if it's, I think I agree with Marius, it is an improvement for landscape photographers for sure. I know that you can stitch things together, but you could also stitch these together too and have like a 150 megapixel panoramic image. Sure. Um, but is this then, if it's a landscape camera or can be a landscape camera, how crazy is it, you know, to assume that a travel like a traveler would consider this camera as like a, a professional travel photographer, somebody who like shoots for Lonely Planet or somebody who shoots for National Geographic. Although those are often like wildlife, but let's let's just limit this to like travel photography. We, you know, is this a camera that a traveler would ever consider? It is big, I get that, but with the weather weather resistance, with the quality, with uh, that's my 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 question is, could it be used for that?
0: I think so, but I don't think I would lump uh, together travel photographers with landscape photographers. I think those are two very different assignments. Your travel photography, what I understand by that is you capture what you do in a city and everything like that live in the city. Sure. Sure.
2: It could be landscapes as well. You're right. They're not, they're not identical. I, I just, there, there is a correlation between the two. Right.
0: But if you're just going to shoot Mount Fuji, for example, on an assignment and they fly you to Tokyo or to wherever, and you have to shoot, that particular image, yeah, of course, I would absolutely take this camera with me because the the best image quality uh, that you can get, the, the the better image quality you can get, it's going to make a difference. So,
2: okay, so so. Let's, let's pull back half a step. Let's do Matt. Um So a lot of little blogs that I like to read are, you know, like they're maybe a fashion or style type of blog that even my wife found one day. And and very often there might be a lady with her husband and the lady is dressed up in um, a specific type of clothing. And then they go and they travel to a spot and, and they, they have all sorts of affiliate stuff going on. Right. So for those kind of like bloggers, you know, for instance, or for bloggers in general, we'll say like, who, who have been able to turn their blog into money and they use photography to showcase things like i i'm just i, I can't help but feel like this gfx is going to tempt those people too because at the end of the day like this this camera opens up more opportunities to be taken outside of a studio and it offers there's compromises of course but you know i i feel like they're, they're going to be tempted by this yeah
0: definitely If I was in their shoes, I probably wouldn't consider that particular camera for for that type of uh, work, but I'm sure many people will. I mean, it's just a matter of personal choice and preference and there's nothing wrong with the camera, the the camera that makes it not suitable for that kind of uh, thing. It's just not my cup of tea so to speak.
2: But uh, but this will be the first medium format camera that ever does tempt those people, is maybe what I'm... Uh, maybe I'm not making yeah, my point clear enough, here. Yeah. I just feel like the GFX is, is really breaking ground here for all sorts of photographers, and and, and not specifically studio photographers. I, for what it's worth, I agree with you. Right. And we keep forgetting we keep
0: forgetting about the Hasselblad X1D, but that's going to do the, much of the same thing for those people.
2: Right, uh, for which, sure. <laughs> totally. If
0: we're, if we're addressing mirrorless medium format as a whole... The Hasselblad is actually slimmer and smaller and lighter, so maybe that's the one who will that will tempt those people even more than the GFX. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Either way, both of them are very compelling. I personally, I find the Hasselblad extremely attractive as a as a just purely from a design perspective. It's a very cool looking camera. It's very unique. It doesn't really look like any other camera. The GFX is uh, I mean, it looks very much like an XT two, but bigger. Right. So that works. And it, it also um, this is part of what uh, what I like about modern Fuji is that they're normalizing their control scheme across all products. So you can see it in the X100F versus the previous generation. You can see it in the X-T2 and the way that the X-Pro2 and X-T2 have a very similar control scheme. Like if you're a photographer Um, At a professional level, we've talked about before how you're you're really investing in a system more than an individual body or an individual set of lenses. So if your entire camera system has a familiar layout, you know where all the dials and all the buttons are for all of your cameras, even though you'll have an X-T2 for video because it does 4K and you'll have an X-Pro2 for photography because it does photos, and maybe you'll have Uh, you know, or you'll have a GFX for photos because that's the best. And then you'll have an X-T2 for video or whatever it is, like you'll be able to flip from camera to camera and not have to make these huge adjustments in... Um, ergonomics and things like that and and remembering how to do certain things for certain whatever, because it's all the same. And I think that that is very valuable, especially for people in like a wedding context, for instance, where you do have to often make very quick changes of of context between video and um, shooting photos and in, in certain kinds of light and whatever. And it, the, the ability to have a deep familiarity with your camera and transition that to different cameras in your setup seamlessly is a huge selling point. Like that's that's can't be overstated
2: agreed totally 100 we haven't even talked about wedding photographers really here today but but wedding photographers one of those videos is very explicitly like the gentleman is a a wedding photographer and he pulls out the gfx and uses medium format for the first time
1: and gets really good photos by the way holy crap those photos unbelievable
2: (laughs) and and like he takes it outdoors and they're like along the shoreline and it's i don't know if it's raining but i'm sure it's misty on the on the ocean shoreline there and like i just i i guess what i'm yeah is that this is just this is breaking new ground for medium format medium format was so inaccessible for everybody uh, and it was inaccessible both like price-wise but also like like you had said marius like it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like the, the strengths of medium format would have fit the the average professional photographer like most people didn't need to have that extreme resolution and didn't need to have it in a studio um but now like, it seems to me like these these cameras are really pushing medium format into, into new areas where a wedding photographer might consider it.
1: Yeah. Now, here's the one corollary to that. And I think that this is uh, the, the remaining sticking point, um, whether because it's, you know, got a more limited burst speed or because it is larger and whatever the case may be, um, I think that it is still not the ideal camera for a traveler and for a lot of these folks because, it imposes a certain deliberate way of working that doesn't necessarily make sense for um, all kinds of photography, and I think that that's a limitation that you um, that we're we're not quite ready to overcome yet because part of it is down to size and part of it is just down to um, performance. Um, like if you're going to pull a GFX out, you're not going to take like candid travel photos with it because it's not it's not a subtle camera, right? right? And it's not <laughs> right for sure. Uh, so, So that's, you know, that's something that even if you wanted to, and even if the price made it accessible, that's not really great. And also my impression is that the sorts of folks who are doing these shoots for Lonely Planet and, and stuff like that, in order to get that level of authenticity, they're really looking for more of an X100 style camera where it's very subtle, where they can get right into the middle of the action without being conspicuous and they can do all of their traveling without carrying a heavy load of gear with them, right? And that's that's the kind of thing where a GFX is not really going to excel. It's not going to be the best tool for the job, but it is capable of that job now, perhaps, and it wasn't in the past. Like, there was nothing of that caliber that that you could use in those contexts before. So in that sense, it's definitely a step forward, right. but it, you know, ultimately the question comes down to wh- whether or not it's going to be the best tool for a given job, and I think that there are still... A lot of jobs where that's just not the case it'll be capable but unless you have very specific sets of circumstances it's not going to be the the best choice um but i'm sure that those people will be tempted anyway like me
2: yeah <laughs> not really that tempted but uh, i'd consider it no but you'd like to play with it i mean you've told us this much for sure marius like you're for sure gonna get your hands on a review unit eventually right i mean i'm gonna get my hands on
1: it on tuesday but I, <laughs> I don't know What's when... the point
2: in even... You shouldn't even bother playing with it. Just just ship it to me.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. No, I get to... Um, there's a there's a press event, so I'll be attending that and I, I'll get to play with all the new cameras, including the GFX. But as far as if and when I get a review unit, I'm, I'm not sure if that's happening. I, obviously, I would love it to happen because uh, this is quite a different sort of camera from anything I've shot with before. I've never... I, I've not encountered medium format um, in film or in digital before. So for me, this would be... Uh, you know, definitely new territory. And that's that's exciting in and of itself. Um, but I also, uh, it's it puts me in a vulnerable place because I'm susceptible to gas and uh, this camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just seeing the images, I'm like, you know, sort of closing one eye whenever I look at it to just hopefully make them <laughs> <Yeah>. look a little less <laughs> appealing. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting some hands-on time. Unlike Alvaro, I've not ever seen it in the flesh or uh, anything like that. You know, it didn't go to Photokina, so I'm uh, I'm tempted. Yeah, you're gonna have a blast. And I also want to see that crazy um, EVF that they've got. That not the the standard one, but the one that you know you can rotate all over the place and do cool things with. Looks so cool. Yeah, that's a it's it's going to be a neat camera. I'm I'm looking forward to playing with it. It's definitely designed as a very versatile
0: system. That the accessories, the lenses, everything. The intention is very clear that this is going to be gaining more and more capabilities over time. So I can't wait to see how the system evolves. Yeah. You're going to have a blast on Tuesday, man. It's it's an, it's an
1: awesome camera. Oh, it's going to be hard because I, my, my actual goal is not to walk away with one of their X100Fs because the GFX is, is ridiculous and it's, you know, it's expensive, it's tempting and blah, blah, blah. But realistically, it's the X100F that is going to be the most tempting because um, I always miss my X100 series cameras. You know, I love my X-Pro2. I really do. But I miss having an X100 series camera. And I don't, I can't really articulate necessarily why, because it's not, um, I, I could just get the 23 mil lens and be more or less in the same spot. Right. But I'm really not in the same spot. I don't have the same size. I don't have the same focus. I don't have the same built-in ND filter. I don't, you know, there, there's there's a lot of stuff that's appealing about the X100 series cameras. And Um, thankfully it's, it's appealing in a way that I think people don't get until they've used it. Right. But yeah, that's the one that's going to tempt me the most. And, uh, it, it remains one of my favorite cameras for traveling. I I remember when I did, I don't remember what year it was, but I did a trip to Romania where that's the only camera I had with me. Um, and in many ways I was happiest with those photos and with that experience of shooting there because, um, I didn't have to worry about anything. You know, it's it's really small. It's really in, it's inconspicuous, and there's no like, oh, which focal length should I use? Which whatever? Like, no, I this is what I'm working with. What can I do with it? I'm going to zoom with my feet, or I'm going to have to think creatively to get around a limitation. And I I just there's something about that way of photographing that's extremely appealing, and I think that that's why cameras like the X100s, um, like the like a Q, the RX1. All of those—that's the core of their appeal—is that they make you shoot differently right. than you do with your interchangeable lens camera, and that's why it, it, it's so good when you are in a position where you're able to afford one of each, uh, not one of each <laughs> but, um, of those, but one you know, like an interchangeable lens camera and then one of these guys. I think that's the—that's a really good combination. It's very flexible, um, and you know, it's it's nice to be able to to have that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well said. So if you do pick one up. Just grab another one
1: for me, will you? I'll grab a second, yeah, send it your way.